Welcome to the weekly podcast of Trinity Life Church. We are a local church that gathers in downtown Toronto on Sundays and all throughout our city during the week. Now our mission is to help people discover their identity and destiny in Christ so we can influence our city, our country, and our world. If you're looking for a place to call home, we'd love to have you. Our services are Sunday from 10.30 to noon at Jarvis Collegiate. Enjoy this week's podcast. We're going to be reading out of um, Luke chapter 2 this morning, Um, and we're actually starting in verse 27, so that's um, a little ways into the passage this morning, but Luke 2, verse 27, you can follow along on the screen. It said, he came in the spirit into the temple, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God, saying, and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. And, And his father and his mother marveled at what was said about him. All right, guys, we're finishing up our Peacemaker series today. <laughs> Sorry, I just had to, it was a little off. I just had to move that. We're, we're finishing up our Peacemaker series today. And, and guys, like, um, Christmas is coming, right? Christmas is right around the corner. And that should get us excited. Uh, because in this passage, there's so much anticipation for this. And it's just building up and building up and building up. And so we're going to talk about that in a second. But I just want to celebrate some things before we jump into this passage from this past week. Um, We were in St. Jamestown this week, did a Christmas dinner for a bunch of people. And so for those of you guys who serve there, who are part of that, thank you for serving that night. Uh, For those of you guys who, I mean, we're all a part of it as a church. I mean, that's something our local gift goes towards. So just thank you for all of you guys who served in that this week. Um, they're so grateful. It's such, a, it's such a witness of Christ and the church to them that we would come alongside them and, and just support that event. Um, and then we get to share the gospel along the way. So, uh, but that happened. And, and guys, that is a, that is a multi-faith event. That's, that's a, an event where people from different faiths come together and and we get to celebrate Jesus with them. I mean, they came together for Christmas, people of different faiths. So now they came together for food, too. <laughs> but, that's, but we get to celebrate Christmas with that food. Uh, but also that night, uh, Missy and I and the girls, we did a multi-faith dinner. So we weren't at the St. Jamestown event because we were at uh, my friend Shabir Ali. And he's an imam, a local imam. And uh, we were at their house for dinner. And anyone know Shabir Ali? Anyone know that name in here? Yeah, I see. Co- oh, yeah, you P2C, you P2C people. Yeah, I got you. Uh, so uh, Shabir Ali is, bi- anyone know the name Ravi Zacharias? Okay, okay. So Shabir is like the Ravi Zacharias of the Muslim world. Okay, so he goes around the world debating. He's an intellectual. He's an academic. He's a PhD. Um, uh, but he's a super humble guy, and uh, him and I have become friends over this past year. And so we were at his house Wednesday night for dinner, 
And <laughs> on the way there, we, we prepped the girls a bit, because uh, my girls are eight and nine. And uh, we've, we've had dinner with, with people of other faiths before. Uh, but I don't, I don't know. This, this just, I don't think we've done it with an, we've had it with an imam and his family before. So we were there uh, on the way prepping the girls. And it was really cool. Um, as we're on our way there, um, the girls all prayed blessings over their family and, and over us as we went into there. And so we go in. We're about an hour into the night, and we're eating dinner together. And she had, like, uh, Sabi, uh, his wife, had made this, um, like, leg of lamb. And, I mean, it was, like, immaculate. It was, like, Thanksgiving dinner. Um, she'd made all this stuff. Uh, but we're just talking, and uh, I, don't, I don't remember how exactly it came up, but Shabir says something about the Word of God or the Scriptures. And he's talking about the Quran at this point, but he says something like that. And Emerson says, <laughs> she says, um, uh, in the beginning was the Word. She's talking to Shabir. She's like, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And he became flesh and dwelt among men. And she like quotes, first, uh, quotes the first few verses of the Gospel of John. And I'm just like, <laughs> you go, girl. <laughs> like, um, Shabir, and Shabir's like, yeah, I've heard that before, you know? And he's, he's like interacting with Emerson on it. And I was just like, oh my gosh, it's so beautiful. My nine-year-old is just quoting scripture to this imam who debates around the world. Uh, and, and, and I thought, man, so, so beautiful. We're just sitting around the table with him sharing Jesus. Uh, and my nine-year-old is leading the way. And so that happened that same Wednesday night that the entire church was was doing this uh, multi-faith thing, right? You have, I mean, you have us there at, at Shabir Ali's house. You have you guys at St. Jamestown, uh, other people praying alongside that. And guys, that's, that's just so beautiful for us as a church. Like I said last week, how are we going to ever show the love of Christ if we're not there with people? Like I looked around the table, we were, we were sitting around the table, and I thought, man, Jesus would be here. Jesus is here, right? Like, the Spirit of Christ is here with us. And it was just such a beautiful thing. And, and so I want, like, we're trying to help lead our church in that direction, right? Because, guys, we're not here to just be in our own little uh, enclave, right? So, um, uh, yeah, oh, there's so much more I can say about that. But... Uh, this passage is all about anticipation. It's all about expectation. It's all about waiting. <clears throat> Jonathan and I, this is another example. Jonathan and I were in the West Bank a few weeks ago. So we're in Palestine. We're waiting for the bus to go to Jerusalem. And so Bethlehem to Jerusalem. It's not that far kilometer-wise, but because of the checkpoints, the wall, all that stuff, you kind of got to go around all the way to get around. And so we have to take this bus, and we're waiting. And uh, we're waiting for about, uh, the bus is normally pretty quick, like every 15 minutes. Um, but we're waiting for about 30, 40 minutes. And as we're waiting, we're just kind of standing there. And this lady comes up to us, and she introduces herself to us. And she says, hey, where are you from? And she ended up being Jordanian. And we're talking to her. And she hands us off to this guy sitting on, at the bus stop on the bench, which ends up being her husband, who's Lebanese. 
And, and then she goes and she starts talking to all the ladies. And, and we're talking, so we start talking to this, this man and he's probably, well, John, what is he, in his 80s? He's, he's older, so he's in his 80s. And he's just sitting there and he's just talking. And, and the first thing he says to us is, is hey, I'm a, I'm a church planter in Jerusalem. And he, that's like how he introduced him. He's, he's like, I'm a pastor, I'm a church planter. And he, he goes on and he just talks and he has no idea who we are. Right? He doesn't know who I am, he doesn't know who Jonathan is, because he's, he's just talking. Um, and he's sharing stories, and you see his teaching gift. He's just teaching, and he's, and he's going on. And his wife is the evangelist, right? She's going around, she's talking to all the women. And, and so he's, he's talking to us about this, and, and he's like, yeah, uh, started a church, um, you know, bet, you know, when I was younger. And I was like, how long, how long has it been? And he was like, it's been 56 years. And I was like, whoa, like this is, like immediately I was like, this is significant for me. Um, because of our vision as a church, I thought this is significant. Um, and so we start talking and, and he's, yeah, and he's going, yeah, I was like, what are the odds, right? Yeah. So he's, he's going and he's talking and, and uh, they're, they're going to Jerusalem too. And he says his church is by the garden tomb, which is right outside the old city in Jerusalem. So I was like, hey, can we, can we stop by your place? I'd love to pray for you guys. I'd love to see what you guys are doing. Um, and the church is also in their house. So we go, we walk to, or actually we take a taxi, because he's, he's pretty old, he can't really walk to it, but it's not that far away. Um, she goes to market and gets us all this Jerusalem bread and all this stuff. They're so hospitable. They don't even know us. Um, so right before we go in there, they find out, they, they ask me what I do, and I tell them, well, I actually started a church in Toronto as well. Um, and they're like, oh. Uh, and so then we connect on that, and, and we, we um, and guys, it's just this beautiful moment. Like, I had no idea this church existed, right? I had no idea. Just to see 80-year-olds, all I saw was faithfulness and perseverance and uh, willingness and obedience and, and all exemplified in this couple who lives in this tiny apartment, has their church uh, in their apartment, um, and they've been doing it for 56 years. And I thought, oh man, it was just such an encouragement to us um, to just randomly meet them at this random bus stop, you know, random, like so providential. And so we get in there, I'm sorry. We get in there, and, and uh, he'd written this booklet, this, this booklet on, on the old city. So we get in there, and I'm, I'm kind of standing right here. Jonathan is, is kind of like at the back row, but it's a smaller area, so he's, he's not that far out, but in their like sanctuary, basically. So he's standing there. Me and the pastor are standing here. My back is to Jonathan, and the guy, he has his books, and he hands his books to me. He's like, here, here's here's one for you, and here's one for your, is that your father? And I was, I was like, <laughs> and he's my brother-in-law, by the way, and I was like, uh, married to my twin sisters, we're like similar age, right? And, and I was like, no, he's my brother-in-law, and I'm, I'm trying to hold in my life, guys. And I turn around, and I'm dying, like my whole body's shaking because I'm laughing so hard, and Jonathan's like, did he just call me your dad? <laughs> I'm like, just, just go with it. <laughs> and uh, yeah, it's so funny, but so beautiful. 
And guys, that's the picture of this passage. Like, they're waiting for something. But they're not just lazy waiting. They're waiting with their eyes open. They're waiting for opportunities. And they're seeing God move, and they're seeing God work. And guys, look, look here. This is, we have this much of the Bible right here, right? We've been waiting this much right here. This much of history has been waiting, right, for this to happen right here. And, and you have this, this tremendous historical buildup. I mean, think about, think about the earth, guys. Right? The earth was, was perfect at one point, and then it got uh, corrupted. And even the earth, the scripture says, is groaning for this very moment. Right? How much more so us, God's creation? So everything is going towards this. It's like, think about, think about a delta and streams coming into uh, this, all the tributaries coming into a river, right? That's what's happening right now. You got this stream over here and the stream over here and the stream. And guys, I didn't go into all the history that made this moment in time happen. And so much came into this moment in time. And it's all coming together into this river and this, into this rush almost of, of the Holy Spirit, right? Um, and Simeon and Anna in this passage are waiting, right? So Jesus has already been born. We've kind of skipped over that part. Jesus has already been born, but, but they don't know it yet, right? They weren't the shepherds in the field. They, they didn't see the star. Like, they don't know it yet. So they're still waiting. They don't know it's already happened. So in verse 22, we're going to walk through this entire passage. It says, and when the time came for their purification, so this is talking about Mary and uh, the baby, uh, so there's 40 days of purification. You can go back to Leviticus to see this. This isn't, you don't have to go to Jewish culture to see this. This is in the Bible, Leviticus. So 40 days of purification. So eight days in, Jesus gets the, the, uh, circumcised. There's a covenant sign there. And then, um, and then 40 days, or 33, 30, whatever, two, <laughs> 32 days after that of purification, right? So... That's according to the law of Moses. So you can go back and read that. They brought him, Jesus, up to Jerusalem. Uh, if you've never been to that area of the world, they say up to, not because it's north, not talking about, but it's up. Uh, you have to walk up to Jerusalem. It's, it's elevated. So they, they go up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. Who are they presenting to the Lord? The Lord, <laughs> which is really cool. Um, so they're presenting the Lord to the Lord, Jesus to God, the Father. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord. Verse 24. And they're there to offer a sacrifice. This is in Levit Leviticus as well. According to what is said in the law of the Lord. Two turtle doves. It's the second day of Christmas. Right? A pair of turtle doves or two pigeons. Uh, it says, it says back, back in the Old Testament too that that if, uh, if you can't afford a lamb, you give two, two birds. So you see here what state that the family is in. They can't afford a lamb. They're, they're going to give the two birds. Verse 25. <clears throat> now there is a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. Do you guys know what the name Simeon means? It means the same as the name Samuel. Do you know what the name Samuel means? 
named Samuel means the Lord hears. So you have this man, Simeon, and his name means the Lord hears. Okay? He's heard my cry. So Simeon is also the name of, what is it, the second son of Leah in the Old Testament. Um, she says, the Lord, is, the Lord has heard my cry. So Simeon. And this man was righteous and devout. Why? How? Because he was waiting. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel. And check this. Watch how many times the Holy Spirit is mentioned. So he's waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by who? The Holy Spirit. That he, Simeon, would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And the Lord's Christ is the anointed one, the Messiah. All right? So he would not see death until he saw the Lord's Christ. Verse 27, And he came in the Spirit into the temple, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him, according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, and we're going to stop there. So go back, let's go back up to, up to verse uh, 25. So there's a very interesting, very fully theologically packed word in there. He says, the consolation of Israel the consolation of Israel. So Simeon is waiting for this moment. He's waiting for the consolation of Israel. Now, what does consolation mean? In our, in our uh, BLG this past week, in our small group, we talked about consolation, and, and a few people were like, well, what does that even mean? So it, it, it means like, encouragement. It means, um, I think uh, Caroline brought this up in our group. She's like, I've heard it in terms of a consolation prize. And so think that. Think, if you get second place, you're the first loser, right? And you need some consolation. So you get a consolation prize. And, and so it's there to console you. It's there to wrap its arms around you. So uh, like, think that. Think like this word is like someone hugging you. When you're consoled, you know that someone is, is close, that they're there for you, that, that they're there to help, right? So that's all packed into this word. What's really cool about this word is that the Greek root of it is a word, uh, is, a, is this word, it's parakaleo. I don't normally use the Greek with you guys, because I don't want you to think that you need to know Greek in order to understand the scriptures. But this is so cool that I can't not say it. So the word there is the verb parakaleo, okay? Uh, and it means to console, to comfort, to help. Okay? And, and the, the, um, the word that's used here is paraklesis. See the same, the same sound there? The same root is there, paraklesis. And it means consolation, comfort, help. Well, Jesus uses a word for somebody, and it's, and it's we, we kind of transliterate it as paraclete. It's parakletas. It's comforter, encourager, help. You guys know who that refers to? The Holy Spirit. So Jesus uses this of the Holy Spirit. So this word, guys, what Simeon is, is waiting for is the Holy Spirit. 
He's waiting for something that is going to happen that is going to fulfill everything. So go back to Isaiah chapter 40, and this word is packed in, this whole passage is packed into that word. Isaiah chapter 40 says, comfort, comfort my people. It says, the war has ended for her, talking about the people of God. The war has ended for her, peacemaker, right? The wars have ended. It says, a voice cries out in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make straight his paths. That's all packed in this word. And guess what? That's fulfilled just 30 years later in John the Baptist in, John, in Luke chapter 3. So you go to the next chapter, you flip your page in your Bible, and that passage is quoted. And so Simeon is waiting for that. You can go to Jeremiah 31. It's packed into this word. Jeremiah 31 says, uh, it, it's, it's, it's the new covenant. And it's, it's about God saying that I'm going to make a people for myself. And, and I'm going to, I'm going to do something that is, is going to um, restore the people of God. And then you have John 14 and, and 15 where Jesus says, My spirit, he's going to lead you into all truth. The comforter, the consoler, the helper, he's going to lead you into all truth. He's going to be there for you guys when I leave. And then you have Ezekiel 36 and 37 all packed into this one word. And Ezekiel 36 is also the new covenant. And Ezekiel 36 says... I'm going to put my spirit in you, and he's going to dwell inside you. My spirit will live inside you. He says, I'm going to take your heart of stone, and I'm going to replace it with a heart of flesh. And then you have Ezekiel 37, which is the valley of dry bones. And you have all these dead bones, and they're not just dead bones, they're just dry bones. You can't do anything with them. And you have uh, the Lord prophesying to Ezekiel, who prophesies to the bones, and he says, call, call the winds out and, and breathe. Put my spirit in these bones. And these bones make an exceedingly great army. And they all come up. And, and these bones are the spirit. You see the spirit going into these bones and, bringing, and breathing life into them. And then in John 20, when Jesus has lived his ministry, he's lived his life, he's, he's done the cross, he's, he's been resurrected, he, he uh, appears to the disciples. And, and what does he do there? And at the end of John, do you guys know? He breathes the Holy Spirit on them. The comforter, the consoler, he breathes it on them. And they receive the Holy Spirit. And then you have Joel in chapter 2. All this packed into this one word, the consolation of Israel, the Holy Spirit coming to, to usher in the new age. Because guys, Jesus is still in the old covenant, right? So... We're talking about new covenant here where the Holy Spirit ushers us in. And you have Joel 2, and he says, there's going to come a day, guys. Be encouraged. Be comforted. Be consoled. There will be a day when my Spirit will dwell in you. And guess what will happen in that day? You'll prophesy. All of you. Sons, daughters, you will all prophesy in the name of the Lord. And what does prophecy do? What does that gift do? In 1 Corinthians 14, 3, what does it say prophecy is for? Consolation. 
consolation, guys. It's for consolation, it's for encouragement, it's for edification. It consoles us. And then in Acts chapter 2, when the Holy Spirit does come at Pentecost in Acts chapter 2, it fills the place. 3,000 people come to, come to faith on that one, in that one instance. And you have the consolation of Israel come to fruition in that moment. Of the, you have the people of God come together to be a light to the nations. And they prophesy. And people are consoled and encouraged and comforted because the Holy Spirit is finally here. And Simeon here gets a foretaste of it. He just gets a little glimpse of it, a little taste of it, because it says the Spirit, the Spirit is upon him. Now, we know that the Spirit didn't dwell in him. The Spirit is just upon him. This is Old Covenant language. In the New Covenant, we say the Spirit dwells in us. But here, the Spirit is just upon him, and then he goes off of him. Because it hasn't fully happened yet, right? Jesus hasn't done what he, was, what he came here to do yet. So, you have here Simeon, and he takes up Jesus in his arms, and he blesses God. And I, the picture I get here is like Rafiki and Lion King. He's like, ha, sabanya, you know? He's like, he blesses him, right? He like puts him up to the heavens almost. Like, and, he, and he blesses him, and he says, Lord... Now you are letting your servant depart in peace, according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples a light for revelation to the Gentiles, for your glory to your people Israel. And his father and mother marveled at what was said about him. Guys, Simeon has only seen a baby. He hasn't seen Israel restored yet. He hasn't seen redemption accomplished. He hasn't seen anything really yet. All he's seen is a newborn baby. And yet he's fully content with what God wants to give him and show him. Some of you are waiting. You're waiting for consolation, just like Simeon. But what, what are you waiting for? You see, Simeon was righteous and devout because he was waiting for the Lord's Christ. He was waiting for the Messiah. He was focused only on Jesus, on the one who was to come. And his entire consolation rested and depended on seeing the Messiah, on the Lord's Christ. And some of you are waiting for consolation, not in Jesus, but you're waiting for it in a relationship, in a job, in a salary, in money, in a home, you're waiting for it in finishing your degree. You're waiting for it in your marriage. And you're waiting for it in someone else's affirmation of you. You're waiting for it in fulfilling your parents' expectations. And you think when you get that, you will be consoled. And things will be so much better in your life. 
But Simeon was righteous and devout because he was waiting for Jesus. He knew everything was going to be right in the Messiah. And he was waiting for that, for him. And the consolation of, of Israel here, Simeon says, now that I've seen what you've wanted to show me, I can depart in peace. Are you content to just see what God wants to show you and to give you? I think sometimes God is saying, I want to give you this right here. And you're saying, well, I want that plus all of this. Are you content with seeing what God wants to show you? Simeon, he didn't need to see the cross and the resurrection to know that the consolation of Israel had come. He didn't need to see all that yet. He knew that it was a fact, that it was going to happen. And guys, how much more so for us? We're on this side of it. It's already happened. We've already seen it. It's already been done. Jesus is already seated at the right hand of the Father. So how much more so for us should we put all of our hope and all of our trust and all of our being in Jesus? Because Paul says in that same passage, he says, your life is hidden in Christ. Actually, your life is Christ. Yeah, thank you. We got one, we got one who loves Jesus in here this morning. Yeah, like, yeah, your life is Christ, guys. That should get you excited because it's already been done. You don't have to hope and wait for the consolation. Because guess what? A lot of us wait in frustration and impatience and uh, all that stuff. Um, but if we, can, if we can recognize that we're on this side, all that's left for us is anticipation and expectation of what God is going to do. And so Simeon, he's here and he says, now I can depart in peace. My mind isn't, isn't in chaos. My heart isn't in chaos. Nothing in me is in, is in chaos and I can just depart in peace, according to your word. It's almost like he's like, I've seen him, and then he's going to die. Like, it's just like, I can go. Take me, Lord. So Mary and Joseph, they marvel at what was said about him. And then Simeon blesses them, so to Mary and Joseph, and he says to Mary, his mother, behold. Remember, I've told you guys before, when you see that word in the scriptures, it should, it should be like a smack in the face. Like, that is a... That is a very strong word that's like, behold, like something is about to happen, okay? Something good. Something, well, yeah, something, something uh, strong and amazing. So it says here, behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel. And for a sign that is opposed, and then in parentheses, and a sword will pierce through your own soul also. He's talking to Mary. So that, so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. What's your reaction to that if you're Mary? If I'm Mary, I'm like, that's not good. <laughs> that, that's not, it's not very consoling. It's not very encouraging. You're, you're newborn. I mean, Simeon's talking to her newborn baby. Right? So those of you guys who are parents in here who've had newborns, think about that. Someone comes to your newborn baby and says, Hey, your newborn's appointed for the rise and falling of many. And 
a sword will pierce, or will pierce through your, your own soul <laughs> as this happens. But the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed, and it's for that purpose. You're like, oh, I don't know if that's the life I want for my child. I don't know if I want my child to live that life. Because if you're, if you're parents, you're like, oh, I want the best for my kids. I want them to have a better life than I had. All those things a lot of, parent, a lot of parents think about. And immediately, 40 days in, this is the prophecy that she gets. She gets this blessing over her son. And, it, and I know it doesn't sound very consoling now. But in Jesus' greatest time of need, when he is going to the cross, which is also Mary's greatest time of need as a mother, but also as a sinner who needs what Jesus is about to do, I guarantee you these words are consoling. These words are like arms wrapped around her saying, this is for the rising and the falling of many people. So that hearts may be revealed. And yeah, it's going to hurt you. Like your soul is going to feel pierced because of this. But this is for the world. This is for the world. I guarantee you she remembers those words. Like as he's going through his greatest time of need and she's going through her greatest time of need. She remembers these words to, that were given to her from, from Simeon. And guys... <clears throat> consolation, it really comes out of pain. And a lot of us in here today, you're, you're suffering through something. You're suffering through a loss, you're suffering through a sickness, or someone in your family is, or your friends. You're suffering through something. And Jesus came to give consolation. And that's not... Like, don't think consolation prize, but think, he's, he's, he says, when he shows up on the scene, he says, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand, which means the kingdom of heaven is here. It's like he's saying, hey, guys, I'm here. Like, everything you've been waiting for is happening right now, and I'm here for you, and I'm here with you, and I stepped out of heaven, put myself in flesh to be here with you. And, and when we think about consolation and it coming through pain and coming through suffering, uh, after Jesus says those words, he goes in the Sermon on the Mount and he gives the Beatitudes. And he says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. That's their consolation. Jesus says the kingdom of heaven is here. He says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, those who are... Those who are, sorry, my mic, that's not me. Uh, blessed are the poor in spirit, those who are suffering, those who are in pain. Theirs is the kingdom of heaven. He says, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. Theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are the peacemakers, right? Those who go into conflict to, to uh, bring people together because they shall be called children of God. Blessed are the pure in heart. 
And it's not, it's not easy to be pure. In order to be pure, you have to go through the uh, sanctifying process, the refining process, which is a crucible, it's a fire, it's a furnace, and those impurities have to be sifted out of us. He says, they shall see God. And then he says, blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be what? They shall be consoled. They shall be comforted. That same word is there, guys. Parakaleo, that same word. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be consoled. They shall be comforted. Guys, and, and Jesus, Jesus knows that uh, through pain and suffering comes consolation. And today, if you think you don't need the consolation of Christ, then the gospel is not for you. The gospel is for those who know that they are poor in spirit, who know that they need that consolation, and who know that our salvation only comes through that consolation. If you think you can do it on your own, you think you're good, this isn't that, you don't need this gospel. You don't need this truth. You, you, can, do, you can do whatever else you want. This is for those who humble themselves and say, God, I can't do it on my own. Right? This, that you are the truth, you are the way, you are the life. And, and Jesus says that other path, it only leads to destruction. But if you want to be consoled this morning, if you want to experience the consolation of Christ, if you want him to wrap his arms around you, it has to be in humility, poor in spirit. It has to be through mourning our state, and he's going to console us. It's going to be through persecution. It's going to be through peacemaking. And, you know, I was telling you earlier that, that Missy and I and the girls were at Shabir Ali's house, and I was talking to someone this past week who's, who's an apologist, kind of, like a burgeoning, he loves apologetics. Um, he, yeah, some of you guys might know him in here, so I won't say his name. <laughs> um, uh, but he, he does stuff at U of T, University of Toronto, and he's, he's a young guy, he's probably in his mid to late 20s. Um, I say young guy, like I sound all, guys, I had a birthday this week. Yeah. yeah. I'm one year away from really old. So, yeah, this might be my last year. <laughs> no. I remember, when my, I remember when my parents turned 40. So I didn't turn 40 this year. That's next year. But I remember when my parents turned 40, and I thought, man, that's old. Like, everything was black, right? Because it was, like, over the hill, and... And, and now I'm like, it's young. I feel great. This is like my prime. So, um, yeah. Anyways, why did I start talking about that? Oh, because I talked about, I talked about this, this young guy. Yeah, so he's in his, in his 20s, mid to late 20s, and something like that. Um, and he loves apologetics. And, and guys, hear me. Apologetics has its place, okay? But he loves defending the faith. He loves apologetics. And, and, um, and uh, he loves debating and, and crushing people's intellectual arguments and all this stuff. And I don't know how we started talking about it, but, I, but Shabir Ali came up. And I was like, oh, yeah, I was at his house last, or whenever that was, last night. Um, and he was like, oh, he's like, you know Shabir? I was like, yeah, we're friends. He's like, you're friends with Shabir Ali? And I was like, yeah, um, we had a great time just talking about life and different things. And, and, uh, and he was like, yeah, um, I was at this debate with Shabir Ali, and 
he looked like such a fool and he said this, but then he's like really intellectual, so he, he looked great here. And he's like just tearing apart his argument. And I was like, hey man, like, do you think you're ever gonna reach somebody like that? Like if, if, we're, if, if we want to share people, share the love of Christ with people and the light of Christ, do you think that's, that's the way to do it, to pick apart his argument? Do you think if you say, his mama sucks, come and be with mine, like that's, that's going to get him to, to say, okay, yeah, yeah, I'm going to do that. I, and, and I was just like, man, apologetics, guys, I say, like, it has its place, but it cannot be confrontational. Like, that's the old way, and apologetics is fairly new. And if you look at this, this is such a random aside, guys, but it's good. I'll, I'm enjoying it. So it says uh, um, here, so most people get their apologetics from here. And guys, don't hear me right. Like, we, sometimes we need to defend our faith. There's, there's a place for that. Um, but most people get their, get their understanding of apologetics from here. It says, it says, have no fear of them. Not, uh, not, nor be troubled, but in your hearts honor Christ, Lord as holy. This is First Peter. Always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you a reason for the hope that is in you. And we tend to stop there. And you're like, yeah, I'm going to make a defense. Like we're going to stand on, we're going to stand firm on this. But if you read the rest of the same verse, it says this: Yet do it with gentleness and respect, having a good conscience, so that when you are slandered. It's saying, welcome that. When you are, not if you are, when you are slandered, don't rise up and destroy because those who value your behavior in Christ may be put to shame. For it's better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. Guys, that's our apologetic. Humbling ourselves and being like Jesus. Now, hear me right. Shabir's a PhD, I'm a PhD, I can have an intellectual conversation with them all night long. But we're there to be friends. I can debate with them all night long. We can go back and forth, we can talk about language, we can talk about how uh, uh, transmission, we can talk about the canon, we can talk about uh, Islam, we can talk about Christianity, we can talk about all this stuff. And Emerson Rang would just sit there and be bored. <laughs> but instead, we're friends. Apologetics has to move from being confrontational to relational. And guys, we need to do a lot better job at that. And if you want to be a peacemaker, if you actually genuinely want to make peace, then you have to not focus on being confrontational, but focus on, on consolation. Guys, we're there to say Jesus is here. We're there to put our arms around people and say, hey, we're here for you. We're not there to, to force our beliefs onto people. Because I know that when I have a relationship with somebody, then I can share my beliefs all day. But if I don't have a relationship, I'm never going to be able to do that. Not in our culture. Not in, not in Canada. It's definitely not in Toronto. Right? So let's be people who are relational, who are focused on consolation, who are focused on being peacemakers here. And, and we see here Simeon, he's not focused on the fruit of what's to come necessarily. He's just focused on being faithful, guys. You know, when Missy and I moved to Toronto to start Trinity Life Church, God didn't promise us anything. 
He just said, go and do this. Plant your lives in this city and do this. He didn't say you're going to see anyone come to Christ. He didn't say you're going to see anybody uh, gather. He didn't say the church is going to last this long. He just said, go and do it. And so we came with no expectations. We had nothing to lose. Now, if you know us, we're strategic, we're planners, we're futurists, so we, like, this didn't happen by accident, right? We're, we're praying and we're working with the Spirit to, to make things happen. So don't, don't hear me wrong. We planned, we prepped all that. But at the same time, this wasn't to bear fruit. We didn't, we didn't expect any fruit. We expected obedience and God to do whatever he wanted to do. And we just were focused on faithfulness. And Simeon exemplifies that. He didn't need to see the fruition. He just knew I was faithful. The Lord showed me this child. Now I can die and depart in peace. Guys, just, just hear that. Like most of us are young in here, and we feel like we have all our lives that, uh, you know, ahead of us, and we do, um, hopefully, God willing. Um, but when you see like this guy in Jerusalem who's 84 years old, who planted church 56 years ago, and has like 20 people in his house, maybe 10, I don't know, um, and he's persevered for 56 years, I'm like, oh man, I just hope I'm half the man he is. And we have here Simeon, who's just, he's just waiting. And he sees the consolation of Israel. And then, you have a prophetess, Anna. She's the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher. And she was advanced in years, which is a euphemism, Hebrew euphemism, which means she's really old. <laughs> And she's having lived with her husband seven years from when she was a virgin, then as a widow until she was 84. Some translations and manuscripts say she was living, uh, uh, she had, she wasn't 84, she'd been living without a husband for 84 years. So, like, she's really old, guys. Um, and, and watch this. She did not depart from the temple. And this is, this is, uh, in 1 Timothy, when Paul's writing to Timothy, he says an exemplary widow is this way. And he's basically referencing Anna here. She, she, she devotes herself to the Lord. And, and it says she did not depart from the temple, and she, worship, and she worshiping with fasting and prayer night and day. And coming up at that very hour, she began to give thanks to God and to speak of him to all who were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. Ah, oh, guys. So many of you are waiting on something. And a lot of you would say, well, I am. I'm waiting on the Lord. And that's a good step in the right direction. But how are you waiting? Where are you waiting? You see here, Anna She's waiting as close to the presence of God as she knows she can get in the temple. She's waiting in the temple where she knows that at the very least the presence of God is here. Because that's the, that's the tradition, right, throughout the Old Testament. He's, he's here in the temple. So I'm going I'm to devote my life to waiting in the presence of the Lord, and I'm going to live here every day. I'm going to be here every day. And, and, and how is she doing that? 
She's doing it by fasting, something that we are dependent upon as food. That's why you fast food, because we're so dependent on it. So she fasts something she's dependent on, which, which that should make you think, if you're, if you're into like fasting social media, which I'm, saying, I'm not saying that's a bad thing, you should do that, that's saying you're dependent on that. That's what that's saying. If you fast uh, coffee or caffeine, that's saying you are dependent on that. Yeah, ouch, right? And so we fast food, and, and it's saying, we're saying, God, we're not dependent on that anymore. We're dependent on you. And so she's doing that day and night. Now, we don't know how and all that stuff, right? Like how, like, I'm sure she's eating something, right? But she's fasting, and she's in fasting and prayer night and day. Guys, if you want to truly wait on the Lord, and you're waiting for the consolation of the Lord, and you're waiting for him to do something in your life, Think about how you're doing it and where you're doing it. And I don't mean a physical location because now we're in the age of the Spirit. But, but a, lot of times when, a lot of times when we're waiting on the Lord, we want the Lord to do something, we feel like we're in a dark place, we feel like we're in darkness, uh, all this stuff, and we're waiting on the Lord, what do we do? We divorce ourselves from the community of faith. And we do it in isolation because our, our darkness likes that. It's our comfort. Right? Uh, and Zacharias says, they dwell in the dark. They love it. They're in the shadow of death. It's, it's their shade. It's their comfort. No, guys, for us, we're in the light. If you're a follower of Jesus in here this morning, you're in the light. Don't let, the sh- don't let death be your shade anymore. It isn't your shade. Don't, don't dwell in the darkness anymore. You are a child of light, so be in the light. And, and if you can't, and guess what, guys? You weren't designed to do that on your own. So don't isolate yourself. You're just going to be in the darkness. Be with the community of faith. This happens on Sundays. It happens in homes throughout the week. It happens when you're with, with other believers in your local body. Like, guys, um, yeah, you guys just have to, you have to put yourself in community. You have to put yourself in the presence of God. Jesus says we don't worship on that mountain. We don't worship on that mountain. We worship in spirit and in truth. Right? So we can, we can be there for each other anywhere. We don't have to go to the temple anymore. We are the temple. Do you guys realize that? 1 Corinthians 3, you are the temple of the Holy Spirit, a collective you. All of us, the body of Christ, we are the new temple of the Holy Spirit. Don't depart from it. Worship with fasting and prayer. How are you doing that? Some of you guys are waiting on the Lord, but you're not doing any spiritual disciplines. You're not seeking God God says, seek me and I'll be found. God says, draw near to me in James. And guess what? I will draw near to you. Guys, there's an invitation there. Open for us. God's saying, draw near to me and I will draw near to you. Take that invitation. Yeah, Anna does this. So she fasts fasts, uh, and prays day and night. And then she does these two things when she meets Jesus. She has these two things. She gives thanks to God when she meets Jesus, and she speaks of him to everyone. Have you met Jesus this morning? Do you do those two things? If you've truly met Jesus, those two things will happen in your life. You will speak of Jesus to everybody. And you'll give thanks in all circumstances. 
Are you doing that? Don't let that condemn you. That should console you. Jesus says there's therefore now no condemnation, or Paul says there's therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That shouldn't condemn you. Now that may be convicting for you. And you may need to say, yeah, I need to change my attitude. Spirit, change my heart, change my attitude. You may need to say, uh, yes, uh, yes, God, I, I need to give thanks in, in all circumstances. Yes, help me to share more of my life with other people. That's all it is, guys. If Jesus is your life, you're just sharing your life. With other, we're, remember, we're not talking about, about forcing our beliefs on other people. We're just talking about sharing our life with them. We'll talk about evangelism at a different time. But, uh, guys, we've made it into this thing that is so extra, um, and we're just sharing our life with them. It's the same way I talk about my daughter, the same way I talk about my wife, I talk about my Jesus. If I'm not doing that, then I'm probably putting my wife, my daughters, my job, whatever it is, my football team, whatever it is, above, above Jesus, right? We should just, he's just overflow out of us. Whenever I read the scriptures, I'm going to close with this. Whenever I, whenever I read the scriptures, and here's a tip for you when you read narrative like this, um, put yourself in the place of, of the person in the text, but also ask this. I wonder what the author or what this person was reading when they did this. What informed Anna to do this? Why did she act like this? Guys, they were just as much people of the word, people of the book, as we should be. They had the Old Testament. They had the Hebrew Scriptures, right? So something is informing her. When you read Paul in the New Testament, always ask, what's he thinking about? What's he reading to make him write this? You can trace everything back to something in the Old Testament. That's why I say you need to read that. You need to understand that if you really want to understand the New Testament. So check this. Psalm 27. Uh, we have some of the verses up on the screen. I think Anna's reading this. It says, uh, this isn't up on the screen, but, but Psalm 27 starts like this. It says, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is a stronghold on my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? And then it goes to verse 4. It says, One thing have I asked of the Lord that I will seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. That's what she's doing, right? To gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. Verse 11, teach me your way, O Lord. Oh, sorry, verse 13. I believe that I shall look upon the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. If you're not a follower of Jesus in here this morning, if this all is weird to you, if this all doesn't make sense to you, Um, This verse is for you this morning. You can actually say, God, if you're real this morning, I want to look on your goodness. I want to see you. I want to know you. In the land of the living. On this side, in in this world. And you can actually say that to God. That invitation is for you as well. To say, yes, I'm going to draw near to you, God, because you've said you'll draw near. So take a step of faith and do that. And then verse 14, this is for us as followers of Jesus. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. 
Let's say this to each other this morning. Say this to your neighbor this morning or the person in front of you or behind you. Wait for the Lord. Come on. Yeah. <laughs> guys, guys, speak this prophetically over the person next to you. Wait for the Lord. Not everyone's doing it. Speak this prophetically over the person next to you. Wait for the Lord. Be strong. Let your heart take courage. Guys, receive that this morning. Receive that in the Spirit this morning, guys. Remember that this week. To wait for the Lord, to be strong, to take courage. Whatever you're going through, whatever pain and suffering, consolation isn't on its way. It's already here. It's already here. And receive it this morning in the name of Jesus. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for its power. It's, it's thank you that it's alive. It is active. It is piercing our hearts. It is cutting. It is healing. Oh, and sometimes you need to wound in order to heal because we are just so far away from you sometimes. And so thank you for the invitation to draw near to you because you will draw near to us. Console us this morning. Remind us that we're to be peacemakers who go into conflict and battle for your glory to reconcile this world to you. And that's why we celebrate this season. Thank you that your consolation has already come and we can find peace and rest in you now. And so we draw near to you, Lord, as a body of Christ. In your name, Jesus. Amen. If you want to know more about the TLC community, check out trinitylife.ca or you can find us on Facebook. Of course, we'd way rather meet you in person, so we hope to see you at a service soon.